The test of our character is how we act when we're by ourselves. How we talk or think or behave when we're by ourselves really reveals who we are. I would argue the same is true for couples. Probably their most honest conversations is when they're in private with each other. I think the same thing is true for us when we are disciples of Jesus Christ. That when we are communicating with Jesus privately, it's the best reflection of who we are as a disciple of Jesus. Now the term the Bible uses for that communication is prayer. And I've come to learn there are public prayers and there are private prayers. Probably the first prayer I learned was, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, that was a public prayer because I always had to pray it in front of my parents before I went to bed or my grandparents or whoever was putting me to bed. When I said God is great and God is good, now we thank you for this food, that was a public prayer because I had to say that in front of our family before we ate a meal. But I find that most of my prayers are private. And when I think about my communication with Jesus when I'm by myself, I find that much of what I'm talking about is I'm asking. I'm asking God to do things for me. I'm asking God to do things for my family. I'm asking God to do things for loved ones. I realize I'm far from perfect, and so sometimes I'm saying, God, would you forgive me? Would you be compassionate? Would you be merciful? And that's a private prayer. But in in that asking, there's also at times thanking. Thanking Jesus because he did this or thanking him for things I didn't even ask for, but he did it. As I've gotten older, I also realize that part of my prayer is honoring. Just as you will say to a friend, you're a good friend. You had my back. You stood up for me. I will say to Jesus, you're Lord. You're holy. You're righteous. You're God. And so most of my praying involves asking, thanking, and honoring. But I've come to realize there's a piece of conversation that is often missing in my private prayers that reflects sometimes on the kind of disciple that I am. And it's that piece that's often missing that I want to talk about. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Christians in the town of Colossae. So in the book of Colossians chapter four, he talks about prayer. And when he says to them that you need to be involved in prayer, he actually says, be devoted to prayer. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I pray long prayers? Does it mean I pray all night? Like some saints, do I go up into the mountains or into the desert and pray for three or four weeks? That may be devotion, but I think what he means it's much more like parents today with children. As I watch my parents with my grandchildren, they spend most of their time every day thinking about their children, where they're gonna to go to school, what extracurriculars are going to be involved, what lessons they're going to go to. In fact, I read recently that some parents will spend up to 20% of their income on extracurriculars for children for sports, for the arts, for academic achievement. Because most parents today are devoted to their children. 
And the Bible says that's the way I'm to be in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, he's not only my God, he's not only my savior, he's my friend, he's my mentor. And I'm to be thinking about that relationship all day long. And I'm also often during the day to be in communication with him. Whether I'm doing it sometimes while I'm driving or I'm in a mall or I'm involved in a meeting or I have a test coming up, I'm in communication with Jesus. And so if that's the way we are to be about prayer in constant communication, because after all, Paul says, we need to be watchful. This world is sometimes an unfair world. It's an unjust world, and so I need to be praying that God will help me and protect me, and I'm to do it with thankfulness. I don't know about you, but often when I've been to a concert or to an athletic event, and when it's over, I see somebody from the audience talking to one of the performers, and it's kind of like they have a special conversation. In fact, sometimes I've been jealous. Why don't I have a conversation with the performer? And Paul says, don't you realize, we know the God of the universe. I mean, I can be walking down the street and talking to the God who created this world. We need to be thankful for that. But then the question comes, if I'm to be devoted to prayer, what am I to pray about? And I find the requests that the Apostle Paul makes for the people to pray for him are often not the kinds of requests I make. The first thing he says to them, would you pray for me? that I might have a number of open doors to share the gospel. Now, you know and I know that if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're to be sharing that good news with others. When you look at the book of Acts, it seems as though Paul, every time he met somebody, was sharing that good news. But he says, would you pray that I might have even more opportunities to share the good news? And when I think about it, that's seldom in my prayers. It is sometimes, but not often. About three years ago, I decided to go back to my 55th high school reunion. Now that tells you how old I am. I've only been to two, the 40th and the 55th. The only difference was the 55th, they had less people there. <laughs> and as I was planning to fly across to the East Coast for some other responsibilities, I realized this might be the last time I see st <laughs> students, <laughs> we were students at one time, who went from kindergarten all the way through high school together. They knew I had gone to Bible college. They knew I'd been a pastor. They knew I was involved in religious things. And so I was praying, God, when we get together, would you give me an open door to share the gospel? Well, we met for about a day and a half, usually around meals, and not much happened. Till that last night, we're at the final meal, it's kind of like a banquet, and there's 10 of us sitting around the table. We'd all gone from kindergarten through high school together. One of the guys I had played sports with spoke up and he said, you know, so-and-so's not here at the reunion, but he said, have, have you talked to him lately? He's kind of gone off the deep end. He, he's all, always talking about God. He's always talking about the Bible. He's always telling me how I need to change and I need to be somebody else. And finally I said to him, would you just shut up? He said, I say my prayers every morning. I say my prayers every night. I don't need to hear what you have to say about God. And the conversation went on. When I got back, I did something I hadn't done in years, and I don't think I've done since then. I actually wrote a letter. I mean, I took it on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, and stuck it in snail mail. 
and I sent him a letter. And I said, the other night at the table, when you said you say your prayers every morning, you say your prayers every night, I was impressed. I mean, I function in a religious world and some people I meet don't pray that way. They're not as dedicated as you are. So this must be important to you. So since it's important to you, I want to tell you what I believe about God, what I believe about Jesus, what Jesus has done for me, and I just shared with him the good news of the gospel. And then I said to him, I also recognize you don't like to be bugged about this. So here's my cell number. Here's my email. If you want to contact me, fine, but if not, that's okay. And he has yet to contact me. But at least I had the opportunity to have an open door to share with this person the good news. Paul said, would you pray that I might have more open doors to share the gospel with other people? And I'm sad to say sometimes that isn't in my prayers as much as it should be. The second strain, the second request is really strange. Paul says, when I proclaim the gospel, would you help pray that I will be clear? Now, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. In much of the New Testament, he was explaining the gospel. If Paul couldn't be clear, how can we be clear? But what he was saying was, will you help me proclaim it clearly? Because you see, the Apostle Paul had a problem when it came to sharing the gospel. In fact, I believe we have a similar problem today. The specifics are different. But the Apostle Paul had a problem, and it was related to his background. Sometimes his background helped him share the good news. Sometimes his background didn't help him share the good news. You see, Paul is what we would call today an Orthodox Jew. He probably learned to read by reading the Old Testament, and he studied the Old Testament, he studied the prophets, he studied the rabbis. In fact, at one point he said, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and Paul's background was totally Jewish. It determined what holidays he observed and what holidays he did not observe. It determined the rhythm of his week. It determined what he ate and what he didn't eat. It determined how he dressed and what he didn't wear. And that was his culture. And when Jesus Christ got a hold of the Apostle Paul, he realized that all he had been studying the Old Testament was about Jesus. And Jesus was not only his Messiah, his Lord, he was his God, he was his Savior. And Jesus Christ had provided a way for him to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Now when Paul preached to Jews, he was very successful. In fact, we read in the book of Acts chapter 13 that he's invited into a synagogue and he preaches. And he starts with the Old Testament, he goes to the prophets, and he shows to them who Jesus is. And the people are so captured by what Paul says that many of them become followers of Jesus Christ. And he kept preaching more and more and more Jews kept coming to Christ, so much so that those who weren't finally created persecution to get Paul out of town. Because when he preached to Jews, his background prepared him to share the gospel. But there was a problem. The world was not predominantly Jewish. It's Gentiles. 
And Paul understood that when he shared the gospel with Gentiles, they didn't have his background. They didn't understand the old, they didn't even know there was an Old Testament. In fact, we read in Acts 17, he's in the town of Athens and he's interacting with the philosophers. And they said, Paul, we wanna hear your message. What are you talking about? And Paul understood these people didn't know about an Old Testament, they didn't know about Moses, they didn't know about David, they didn't know anything that was related to his background. And so he said, let me tell you, as I walked about your city, I saw that you have an idol to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. That God is the creator. He made the world, he made us. And that God is not only the creator, he's the sustainer. He's the one that keeps the world going. And so because he's that God, he one day is going to judge us for how we have lived. And because that judgment is going to be severe, someone came from God. He was both God and human. His name was Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins. And then he was raised from the dead. And the minute he said he was raised from the dead, it says that most of them stopped listening because they didn't believe in being raised from the dead. To them, they hoped that when they died, they would join this kind of great big spirit in the universe and to come back to earth was not something they wanted. A few believed, some said, we'll listen further. But Paul didn't see many converts come to Jesus at that time. And he understood that when I'm talking to people, some people I can communicate well with, but others I can't. Now, I would argue today that you and I have a similar problem, particularly if you're a little bit older, say 40 or older. Because you see, if you're old like me, I grew up in a Christendom world in a Christendom world, which we had lived in for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the teachings of the Bible, the beliefs of the Bible, the values of the Bible were part of the culture. So when I was a kid in school, we would walk in every day and the teacher would hand somebody a Bible and say, read a Psalm and lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And whether they were a Christian or not, they had to do that. And we understood that that was just the way it is because that's the way you dealt with in school. For years, town councils at Christmas time would take tax dollars and put a nativity scene in the town square because Christmas was Jesus' birthday and we were honoring Jesus. That's why you used to be able to walk in courtrooms and there would be a list of the Ten Commandments. And so when I grew up, even though most of the kids I went to school with didn't go to church, wouldn't really label themselves as Christians, as Christ followers, but they did believe in God. They believed in a heaven, they believed in a hell, they believed that Jesus was God. Many of them probably believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. The problem was, even though they believed that, it didn't change the way they lived. And so they lived with tremendous guilt. I mean, when I was growing up, half our town never went to church. But if on Sunday morning you said to them, why aren't you in church, they had an excuse ready to tell you why they weren't in church because they knew they were supposed to be in church, but they weren't. Now, today, that world where most of the people in the United States knew there was a God, 
knew about Jesus, knew that somehow they were going to be held accountable to God, that world has gone away. That's why in the 20th century, the last century, you could sit down with someone and say, if you were to stand before God tonight and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? That person would listen because they believed there was a God. They believed there was a heaven and they believed one day they had to give an accounting to Jesus. And that was used for many people to come to Jesus. Or if you were on a college campus and said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. They believed there was a God. They believed he did have a plan for their lives. And we could share the good news and people would come to Jesus. But most believe that today, by the year 2025, half the population in the United States will have no idea about the Bible, no idea about God. If they know anything about the Bible, it's what they've seen in a movie that was created by a Hollywood producer and director who think it's stupid to go to church who think that yeah, if you want to go to church, that's fine, but that's not on our radar. That's not what we're about. And often the problem comes that those of us who have been in church and we believe the Bible, we've heard the Bible stories, we know about Jesus is, how do we share the good news with people who don't even know the basics of what we believe? And I think when Paul is saying, will you pray that I will be clear about the gospel? He's saying, how do you reach those kinds of people? And I believe Paul was thinking about that. And so he tells us what we need to do if God calls us to reach people who, do have, who have no background like we do. First thing he says is, be wise to outsiders. Now I've come to realize in life, all of us are in some groups and we're not in other groups. If I didn't go to your high school or graduate from your university, I'm not part of your alumni association. You can invite me to one of your events, but I'm an outsider. If you come to my university event, you're the outsider because that's my group. So we're groups we're in and groups we're out. And Paul says, here's all the Christ followers. That's who we are. We're in this group. But he said that most of the people in the world, they're not part of that group. They're outsiders. And there are people who, not only are they outsiders, but they don't have our background. I'm to be wise toward them. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think in the context, it means I need to be praying for them. In fact, I would suggest that all of us who are Christ followers every day, we have about five, 10, maybe at the most 15 people we know. We have a relationship with them. We sit in class with them. Uh, they're a neighbor across the street. They're somebody we ride bikes with. We go into the supermarket and they kind of run the produce section. We've often talked about what to purchase and not, and we, we know them. Every day, we have a handful of faces that when we pray, we say, God, would you bless them? Would you care for them? In the cul-de-sac in which I live, there are a number of us that have lived there a long time, but there's some people who've moved in relatively new. A few weeks ago, I'm out taking the trash out and the neighbor across the street who's new is taking the trash out and we stop and talk. 
He and his wife have a little girl about a year and a half old and I'm asking him how they're doing and how's she. And then he says to me with a big smile on his face, we just found out my wife's pregnant. We're gonna have another baby. <laughs> he said, our daughter's gonna realize she's not the only one. <laughs> we got another. And so now when I pray every day, I pray for them. I pray for the coming baby. I pray for their child because I'm to be wise to outsiders. And I come to God and I say, here's people you put me in contact with. I've got a relationship with them. I'm going to be praying for them. And then he says, these people you're praying for, make the most of every opportunity. Again, I find that's not often in my prayer experience. I've been working with some churches in Missouri and Kansas, and in this one little town, there's a pastor's church, it's large for the town, it's about four or 500 people on a weekend. And every time he's at a meal, in fact, I've actually been at three meals with him, I've had a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner with him. Every time we're at meals, when the wait person comes over, he introduces himself, tells him his name, what he does, and he says, when you bring me some food, I'm going to pray for the food because that's, I bless the food. And when I pray, is there anything I can pray for you for? I've been amazed. No matter how busy the wait person is when I've been in that restaurant, they'll stop and say, oh, well, would you pray for this? Would you pray for this? Would you pray for this? He says, I'll do that. In fact, he's got a whole group of people in his church. Every time they go into a restaurant, they stop and say, by the way, I'm so-and-so, I go to this church, and when I pray for the food, can I pray for you? I said to him one day, I'm impressed that you do that, but what are the results? What happens? He says, oh, about every fourth, fifth, eighth, ninth time, as I leave the restaurant, that person comes to me, and says, thank you for praying for me. Could we meet? I've got some things going on in my life. I'd just like to talk to you about them. He said, we set an appointment, sometimes two or three appointments. And as I listen to who, what they say, I have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. To talk about how Jesus has helped me and my relationship with him. I was sharing this with some church leaders in a church in North Carolina back last November on a Saturday. Sunday morning, they had multiple services. I was going to preach, so I got there early. And when I walked in, a staff member said, Paul, wait right here. And I watched, he went over, and there was an older gentleman. He kind of grabbed him by the arm, and he pulled him over, and he said, tell Paul what happened this morning. He said, well, I always get here early on Sunday because I have certain responsibilities to help us get ready for the services. I was at the meeting yesterday when you told the story about, you know, asking people if you could pray for them. He said, every Sunday morning before I get here, I stop at a local convenience store to get my coffee because their coffee is better than the church coffee. I get my coffee. And he said, uh, I go in there, usually the store is empty. I bought my coffee. He said, I came out, got in the car, and I thought about what you told us yesterday. He said, I literally had the key in my hand to put it in the ignition. He said, I put the key in my pocket. I got out of my car and I walked back in. There was a lady behind the counter. And uh, he said, uh, I don't know if you recognize me, but I stop here every Sunday morning for coffee. Um, and uh, I'm on my way to church. And when I get to church, I was wondering, 
is there anything I can pray for you for? The lady said, no, nothing for me. And the other lady said, what'd you say? He repeated it. She said, oh, would you pray for this? And would you pray for this? And would you pray for this? And then the other woman said, well, if you're going to pray for her, pray for me. <laughs> At that point. He had the biggest smile on his face when he told me that. And I knew what he was smiling about. He understood as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're to be sharing the good news. And many days had gone by, many months had gone by, and he hadn't done that. And for the first time, he realized that he might have an opportunity every Sunday morning when he stopped to say, by the way, I'm on my way to church. What can I pray for you this week? And to know that at some point, God might give him an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. See, Paul said, we need to be thinking about people that are not part of the group. How do we pray for them? And do we pray that God might give us an opportunity to share the good news? And then he says, and when that happens, you need to have delightful conversation. Now, at that point, some of you say, well, that's not me. I mean, I... I I'm lucky to get yes or no. I don't know what it means to have delightful conversation. It says your conversation needs to be filled with grace and seasoned just like an exquisite meal. So let me tell you what it means to have a delightful conversation. A couple I know who live in the Northeast, she's an artist. Makes her living by going into homes of very wealthy people and creating artworks as part of the decor and the decoration in the home. One day she was praying and she said, God, would you help me to use my art and my artistic ability to share the good news of the gospel? She was on a social media platform and she noticed that there were some people that wanted some art lessons. They said, we can't pay a lot of money, but we can pay some money. And is there anybody who would teach us art? And so she connected with them and said, I'll teach you. And they negotiated the price. And said, so the first time we met, we're at my home in my studio. And these five people are there for their first art lesson. And I'm going around trying to meet all of them, find out who they are. And I realized that all five of them knew each other because they had one main thing in common. They were all psychics. They spent their life telling the future for other people. Some on a full-time basis, some on a part-time basis. Now, if you know anything about Christianity and its beliefs, its values, its teachings, it's about 180 degrees from what psychics believe. They're on a different page. And she knew that. But she also knew that Jesus wanted these people to hear the good news. And so she said... God, will you help me as I meet with them and give these art lessons that I can have conversations that will allow me to let them know that I care about them and I love them and that you care about them and not get into all the arguments and all what we're for or against, whatever, but just get to know them. And so she said, I learned that every time we'd meet, I'd go around and say, how's your week? How's your week? How's your week? When they would say, oh, this has been a good week, or somebody said, this has really not been a good week. She said, I would say, 
why hasn't it been good? What's happened that made it a bad week? And they would tell me a story. Sometimes a story took 30 seconds, sometimes it took three minutes, sometimes it took five minutes. And she said, I would listen to their story. When they get all done, I said, wow, I can see why it's been a bad week. I can see why you're having a good week. And she said, I learned that when people allow me to ask them questions and they tell me their stories and listen, they perceive you as a great conversationalist. And so she said, I spent every week listening to their stories. As we got to know each other, I began to share some of my stories and why my week this week had been a good week or a bad week or why things were going well with my kids or they weren't going well with my children. One of the women of the five she connected with significantly. When the art lessons were over, she said, we continue to meet, we go get coffee and do whatever. Said the woman was in a horrible marriage and went through a divorce that was even worse and all the way through there. We would meet and she would tell me what was going on and what was happening and how life was unfair and all this. And she said, I would listen. And I would share some of my stories. And then she said, eventually I began to talk about God's story and Jesus' story and what Jesus had done for me and what Jesus could do for her. That woman today is no longer an outsider. She's now a disciple of Jesus Christ because this woman had been treating her with wisdom. She was praying for her every day. She was making the most of every opportunity and she was engaging her in continual conversation about her life. Of all the public prayers, probably the most famous is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You and I know that part of God's will is that we as Christ followers share with others the good news of the gospel. Also part of God's will is that as we share the good news of the gospel with others, some of those will become believers in Jesus Christ. And when they do become a believer in Jesus Christ, at that point, God's kingdom and his rule has entered into that person's life. And that you and I are instruments of God's kingdom coming into the lives of people. Often that doesn't happen. Because in our private prayer lives, we're asking, which is fine. We're thanking, which is fine. We're honoring, which is fine. But seldom are we saying, God, give us open doors and give us the opportunity to share the good news. When you look at the church of Jesus Christ in our nation, the picture's not pretty. Less people going to church, less churches. And fewer and fewer people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. It's like it is the bottom of the ninth. But it doesn't have to be that way. If the believers simply 
at Wooddale Church in all the congregations, if we would include into our prayers, prayers for open doors, prayers to make the gospel clear, I think we would see such a harvest of people that it could change this whole metropolitan area just through one church. God has called us to be devoted to prayer. And part of that prayer is to pray for those open doors and to make the gospel clear. And when that happens, thy kingdom comes and thy will gets done. Would you stand with me for the benediction? As we leave here today, I pray that God's spirit might so invade those of us who follow Jesus Christ that our prayers change and that we consistently pray for people who are on the outside and that somehow God will use us to hear their stories and to share with them that they might become followers of Jesus Christ and no longer be on the outside but be on the inside as part of God's kingdom. As you leave today, may God bless you in how you pray and be devoted to prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You are dismissed.